0: Now uh, you need to see the two little green arrows that are bumping up. They are great. All right. Psalm six, are you all there? Yes. Oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chastise me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O oh Lord, for I am weak. Oh, Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. Now, that's a weak translation of that word troubled. Nivhalu actually means literally shudder with terror. His bones were shuddering with terror. David was in probably the greatest illness and sickness he had ever known. My soul also was greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? He's implying, will you watch me suffer and not heal me? Return, O Lord, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. And in the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night, I make my bed swim I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief, and it grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication, and the Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed. And greatly troubled, let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Let's pray over these words in this psalm. Lord, we, here's a man in anguish, and Lord, some of us today may be in a similar place. Lord, we pray that great grace would come upon your word and then be transferred to our hearts. We pray that your word would penetrate, penetrate, penetrate to the depths of our soul, dividing even the soul and the spirit and divide everything that is preventing you to accomplish your highest plan and will this morning. So speak, Lord. We, your bondservants, are listening. Amen. This is the first of seven psalms that reveal a deep searching of the human heart. Also, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143 are all classified deep searchings of the human heart. And most rabbinical scholars concur that David in this Psalm 6 was most likely experiencing the greatest sickness of his entire life. So he poured out his soul in full to God. No one enjoys being in a place of troubling circumstances. And yet David in the midst of his deepest trying time, had a realization of the presence of God in the midst of these most difficult moments. David writes in Psalm 91, concerning his seasons of suffering, prophetically he wrote, because he, referring to himself, has set his, referring to himself, love upon me, that's the Lord speaking, Therefore, I, the Lord, will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. And I will deliver him and honor him. Verses 14 and 15. David's perception of God inspires us today that we can have the same hope in God that David had. And because we have set our love upon him, here's the good news he will deliver us. We've heard testimonies of deliverance right here this morning. He will deliver us. And when we call upon him, he will answer us. And he'll be with us in trouble. What a relief. David knew God to be faithful, and especially when he was going through his worst times. He knew that in every circumstance in his life, every one, however difficult they may be, David had an opportunity to have his heart and body charged toward God. David's troubled body greatly troubled his soul showing the effect that sickness can have on both our moods and our attitudes. But God used that affliction, the worst affliction David may have had in his whole life. God used it to bring about a revelation of sin to David's remembrance. David looked upon it as a token of God's displeasure against him. And often... God will use affliction as a catalyst to draw us into greater intimacy with himself. In and through that intimacy, however, the Holy Spirit does an amazing thing in the process. He wants to convict us. He wants to show us something in our hearts that it's wrongdoing or it's a lack of rightdoing. And he shows us concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. Difficult times can show us areas in our lives where God wants to change us. You know, I can imagine David thinking or maybe even talking to himself, saying something like this. Okay, stop that complaining. You'll get through this. Come on, accept what God is doing in this tough time. And don't be angry about it. Because God is at work in these circumstances. So David said to himself, get back to trusting in God with all your heart. You see, sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of what is true. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. I love this verse. This has been among my chief prayers for many years. And I pray this morning that this verse would become a personal prayer of yours also. Acts 13, verse 22. And it reads, And when God had removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also, referring to God, gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Friends, when God says, I have found, it means that God was searching for someone. And the wonderful Aspect of this is that God found David. And I have good news for you this morning. God is still searching today. He's still searching today. Where is that man? Where is that woman? Who is fully after my heart? Where is she? Where is he? Who will do all my will? Will he find you? Will he find me? Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is completely his. He's still searching today. Psalm 6 is also called a psalm of repentance or a psalm of chastisement. Two words that we are not attracted to. Nonetheless, the rabbis have labeled this psalm one of the other, if not both, repentance and chastisement. And David expresses this thought when he says, oh, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Don't chasten me in displeasure, but instead have mercy I am weak, so heal me, O God, for my soul is also greatly troubled. Now, we don't know the cause of David's pain, but whatever the cause, he sought God for the remedy. That's a good example for all of us. Let's not quickly run to the doctor. Let's run to Adonai Rophe, the Lord, our healer. You know, a great definition of repentance is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you could turn there as well. 2 Corinthians 7. Paul is addressing this church in Corinth whom he loves so much. You may not be aware of this, but Paul founded that church in Corinth and he pastored there about 18 months as the founding pastor. And he loved this church so much that he affectionately called them my children. He affectionately called them my joy and my crown. He didn't say that about any other church. My joy and my crown. That's how the Corinthians were to the heart of Paul. Verses eight through 11. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it though I, I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. But I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything Through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without any regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces regret and death. Now, I want you to observe and take a close look carefully to the following list of items that godly sorrow produced verse 11 for observe this very thing their godly sorrow that you sorrowed in a godly manner what diligence it produced in you what clearing of yourselves what indignation what fear what vehement desire What zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. In verse 11, notice the fruit of repentance. This clearing of yourselves, this greater desire for the Lord, an increased fear of the Lord and a zeal to be clean before our God. Friends, these are all characteristics of true repentance. Now, this pains me to say this morning, but not all the repentance in the church is birthed out of godly sorrow. Often the repentance that happens in the lives of church people, believers, is a repentance that Paul calls the sorrow of the world that produces regret and death. In other words, it's the sorrow that we've been caught or the sorrow that I've been exposed And it's a regret over the consequences of our sin and not the sin itself. The truth is our sin has done far more than merely get us into trouble. It has grieved and offended the holy heart of almighty God. God hated He hated sin so much that he paid the ultimate price to deliver us from it. So we need to pray. Lord, you have been offended in this. And I'm sorry for my actions, for my words, for my thoughts, that I brought grief and sorrow to you. This is true godly sorrow that is followed by true repentance. In Psalm 51, 4, David prayed against you. You only have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight and you will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. And again in 2 Corinthians 7:10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. In Psalm 6, David is running like a fugitive from his son Absalom who has turned the hearts of Israel to against him and toward Absalom. But rather than being angry at God or being distressed over his circumstances, David takes this posture. Man, I love this guy. Lord, there's a reason why this is happening. I'm gonna... Make my bed flood with tears. But I'm not going to cease to cry out to you day and night because I know that you love me and you are accomplishing your purpose in this difficult situation. Do you hear the heart of a man who's after God's heart? I can hear David cry out, have your will. And your way in my life. Friends, a heart cry like this gets God's attention and moves him into action. So if this is true repentance, what is false repentance? Hmm. Well, let's take a look into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, we're gonna get a real good picture of false repentance. Hebrews 12, verses 15 through 17, three verses. Hebrews 12, 15 through 17. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. I can almost hear it now. How can God do that? Here's a man who's crying in sorrow, and yet God, God would not restore him. I think that's the wrong question. Perhaps we should rather ask why was Esau crying? That'll get us to the root. Now, we're clearly told that Esau didn't cry until he discovered that he had lost a temporal blessing, he didn't cry because he was no longer the next patriarch. To the family, nor because he had given up spiritual blessings and he certainly wasn't crying in revelation that he had broken God's heart and, and it offended God by his fleshly desires. No, catch this Esau cried because in the process of losing the right to be the head of the family He had just lost all the cattle, all the goats, and the money and the position that he was looking forward to his entire life. That's what he lost. And that's the sorrow of the world that leads to regret and produces death. Esau had tears of regret. And he did not identify with God as David did and truly repent. He was sorry, but it was a worldly sorrow. And Esau was really only sorry with regret for the consequences of his actions. And this is why his sorrow, hear this, folks. This is why his sorrow was rejected by God. It was worldly and not godly, even though there were tears. If, we all, if all we see is worldly loss, our repentance will only have worldly self-centered sorrow. I'm going to repeat that. If all we see is worldly loss, our repentance will only have worldly self-centered sorrow. David had learned that God was sovereign over all situations in life. And with this understanding, he trusted God with all his heart and with all his soul. David was a man after God's heart who would do all of his will. And David also knew that sin and disobedience can easily bring unwanted consequences. Why? Because what you sow, that you shall reap also. Hebrews 12, now look at verses five and six. Hebrews 12, five and six. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Every son, every daughter that God receives must go through this process. Amen. That's a hard one to amen. But the scripture says, every son. How many of you are in the every? Yeah, every hand should go up. Every son, every daughter. This is exclusive training. This is kingdom 101, basic. That includes all of us in this room. And listen to me. If you do not get this message positively, then you will get it negatively in the next two verses. Look at verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline... Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? And if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Continuing in verse nine. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. That we may share his holiness. Now, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In verse 14, pursue peace with everyone and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Beloved, repentance is the lifestyle of believers. It's not something you do on your initial encounter of knowing Jesus. It is an ongoing process of kingdom life and kingdom expression. As the Holy Spirit convicts us, we confess the sin that he's showing, the lack of what we're not doing or something we're doing that's wrong. He convicts us of righteousness sin and, and if we don't get it right, there's gonna be an element of judgment that's gonna come. For judgment must begin where? In the household of God. The Holy Spirit has all power to be able to keep us and deliver us from deliberate sin. And he has the power to share his holiness with us. What a God we have. Reading from 1 John 3, just two verses, two and three. Beloved, now, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him just as he is. And everyone, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. So you know what we should all be asking this morning? Lord, of what? Are you wanting to convict me of today? That I need to confess and repent and turn from it. I'd ask you to just close your Bibles and your notebook and put a pen down. And if you could get into a posture of really listening, it might be in closing your eyes. I'm just going to read from a few verses of a reflective prayer of David. But I want you to hear the heart of this man that had the legacy, eternal legacy. I have found David, says the Lord. I found this man. He was after all my heart everything in my heart who would do all of my will. And Lord, I want to just thank you that you're still looking. You're still looking. You're still searching to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to strongly support, looking to be strong in behalf of that man or that woman whose heart is completely yours. King David cried out in Psalm 86, be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling out to you this day. Guide and strengthen the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and you're ready to forgive right now and abundance in mercy to all who ask for help from you. So teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. And Lord, unite my broken heart that I may fear your name and honor you always. Holy Father, we, we want David's prayer to be personalized from our hearts also. Us. David knew that's, that's where he needed to first go. Be merciful, Lord. David was calling out to you in the midst of his disastrous happening. Lord, we cry out to you right here, right now. Would you guide us? Would you strengthen us? Our soul, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we choose. Lord, this is a day where we lift up our soul. Our soul needs healing, our soul needs deliverance, our soul needs forgiveness, our soul needs strengthening. And Lord, we all know that you're good, we all know that you're ready to forgive. And you are abundant in mercy to all those who ask for your help. So, Lord, we ask today that you would teach us your ways. Especially the proper way of godly sorrow that leads to repentance that works salvation. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. Of God. Teach us your ways, O oh God, so that we may live according to your truth and not our feelings. And Lord, we pray that you would unite our broken hearts so that we may fear your name and honor you with obedient lives for all the rest of our days. Grant this, almighty God, to the glory and the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.